0: Hi and welcome to the Red Tunic Podcast, a podcast where I look to rediscover what makes gaming great and enjoyable by having positive conversations with those involved in the industry. Today I'm joined by Miguel Sternberg from Spooky Squid Games, makers of such games as they Bleed, they Bleed Pixels, a brutally challenging platform with an eldritch touch, and Russian Subway Dogs, a score attack game where you play as a stray dog scaring passengers on the Moscow metro to get their food, all while avoiding other animals and building your combo up. Miguel, thanks for joining me today. How are you doing? Pretty good. Thanks for having me. Oh, no, thank you for joining me. So um, why don't you tell us a little bit about Spooky Squid, and then we'll go from there.
1: Um, So Spooky Squid is what I would sort of call a micro studio. It's um, sometimes, at the moment, it is just me uh, getting various ports done of um, those two games. But um, it sort of has varied in size between just me and up to three people so much smaller than sort of some of the larger indie studios now Um, and um we make sort of sort of retro pixel art games they are they have like a, a pixel art aesthetic but um i tend to not try to like make games that are like purely nostalgic and are more sort of trying to do new things but in um the shape of older games
0: and yeah, and that makes sense, because, you know, well, there is some charm to going to that nostalgic uh, flair or flavor, um, being able to kind of differentiate yourself and step out of the nostalgia, and like you said, you know, use that flair, that retro flair to make new things is always, uh, can always put a fresh, you know, spin on things and be a very good experience. Sorry, I fumbled my words there. But no No, like you said um you know like russian subway dogs and i I don't mean this in any negative way um reminds me a lot of like the the ball bouncing games um i think earthworm gym actually was one of uh had like a mini game where you were bouncing little pups across the the screen and that was one of my favorite parts of earthworm gym for whatever reason when i was younger and when i was playing russian subway dogs it felt like that but it you know it had uh, the barking mechanic and the the score multiplier, and you know all the things you were juggling and trying to do, uh, like throwing a bottle of vodka at a babushka with a fish to to cook the fish to get higher score points. Um, it, I, I get I get exactly what you're saying, and it's it's a, a fantastic approach in my mind for for making games. So you know I just wanted to say that you know right out and early because fantastic idea.
1: Oh, thanks. No, I, I sort of feel like. There's a lot of unexplored territory still in a lot of these sort of older genres. So rather than just sort of going, like, I really like that old game, I'm going to just remake that old game because I love it so much. I'm more interested in going, like, okay, what are the things that, like, could have maybe existed back on, like, the Super Nintendo or the Genesis or whatever, um, but never got made? um, And try to, like, figure out what those games are and make those games.
0: And yeah, and as I said, that's like a really interesting approach. I'm I'm kind of curious. Uh, are there any are there any ideas that you're kind of playing with that you're willing to discuss? That you know you're you're hoping to maybe uh, explore in the future.
1: So I've got, like, I've got a few potential future games that I'm sort of bouncing around. I sort of have a little notebook file that I fill in with game design ideas, and usually, like it's such a long process creating a game you have like years where you're like this might be the next game um where you're just making notes um and funnily enough after saying like i I don't sort of want to just like remake games i'm kind of interested in making a spiritual successor to a uh little known game boy original game boy game called cave noir which is one of the first attempts at making a roguelike um on console um, and I think does a lot of really interesting things and could be expanded. In that case, it's sort of like a, oh, here's this branch that like started to branch out and then got cut off. Like there's no, nothing tried to do what it did afterwards, even though it's from 91, I think. Um, and I feel like that branch could be extended in an interesting way and in bringing some of the sort of my particular um, approach to game design to that um, existing game.
0: That, that, that sounds like it would be actually be pretty, I shouldn't say it that way, but no, that sounds like it would be pretty interesting, especially if, you know, you're, you're kind of going back to the roots of um, the, the roguelike experience on consoles. Because, uh, you know, a lot of roguelikes now, they have a lot of different mechanics and, you know, they're incorporating what they can and whatnot. But going back to the, the roots, so to say, would be a very interesting place to, to start from scratch instead of... You know, no offense to any of the, the current uh roguelike games, but instead of basing it on, you know, uh what is kind of considered the new norm.
1: Yeah. Um no, that's sort of interesting because it's not even like the roots, sort of like the roots of console roguelikes uh the mystery dungeon games, which came out I think one or two years later. Um, which turned into like in the Wanderer and Pokemon Mystery Dungeon and all of that. And so that's sort of the one that's the, the series of games that took root in console roguelikes, likes in sort of at least in Japan. Um, it's been a totally different history here in North America. That's much more recent. Um, so, sort of looking at sort of a, a root that didn't really fully germinate. Um, I guess I you don't know, plant something about plants.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I get where you're going with that. And hopefully, you know, hopefully that's uh, something you're able to to kind of extract or you know build upon because. I personally really enjoy roguelikes. So that would be something that I feel would be a really great game or a really great idea. So hopefully that's uh you something you can, you know, you can build on and it, it is a success for you.
1: Oh we'll see. Like it's it's gonna be probably another year till I get to decide what the next thing is. Yes, very but more half big things that I can't really talk about yet.
0: Mm-hmm. So I also just want to ask another quick question. So what is it like, sorry, what is it working as a micro studio for, for games? Uh,
1: It's nice in that like everyone you work with is doing sort of a large scale part of the game. They're like contributing a large amount of art or like all the music or, um, In my case, I I do a whole bunch of different things for the games, from game design to programming in the case of Russian Subway Dogs, um, to art for both of the games. Um, So everyone's pretty invested in what's being made in a way that's harder when you're working on larger projects. I I worked in film for a year doing visual effects and like your contribution ends up being this very small thing. If, If you're lucky, you're like, I did this scene And that was like six months of my life. But this scene, um, the visual effect here is is what I did. Whereas when you're working with a very small studio, everyone's contributing a large part. And you have a very like, there's a feeling that comes out of that when you've got a very small number of people working on a project where um, it's going to be different when you've got sort of um, more cooks um, Mm -hmm. in the kitchen, so to speak. Um, like you can't make as large games, but you can sort of really um, have a, a, a sort of sense of focus and a voice, I think, to smaller games made by individuals or by micro studios that you can't get as easily in larger ones.
0: Mm-hmm. And that makes perfect sense. And I also imagine there would also be a lot amount or a larger amount of, of pride, because like you said, for film you'll work, you know, six months on what might end up being like a, a three-minute scene, uh, which, you know, you definitely should take your pride in. But when you work on a, a game where it's, you've done a large portion of it, there's, and it's out in the wild, and it's existing, and people are enjoying it, I imagine that instills a, a much larger amount of pride uh, in you for, for something like that, right?
1: Yeah, and, like, you also have the thing of, like, if there's something that's good about it, you know that you can take credit for it. If there's something that's bad with it, you know that you can take blame for it. Like it is, um, when I work sort of as a freelance pixel artist, um, on games, there'd often be cases where like, I'd feel really proud of the art I did, but then like, it would go into a flash engine that hadn't been properly set up for pixel art and it would end up blurry and like the game itself wouldn't be that great. And I could be sort of proud of the job I did, but not of the final product. I mean, that's not an issue with with Spooky Squid.
0: Mm-hmm. And that, yeah, what you said that makes that makes perfect sense. Because, um, yeah, you know, being able to to stand by the entirety of something uh, is is always going to be good, right?
1: Yeah. Like so, the downside, of course. Sorry. No, no, the no. Downside please. Is of course that like you end up often overworked, like I do most of our marketing, I do um, a lot of the arts, I do um, all of the programming right now, um, but that's not always the case. I'm also having to deal with the business stuff. When the taxes need to get done, I need to work with the accountants when like legal documents need to be read over, et cetera. So um, it does have this sort of downside is that um, you're wearing a lot of hats, not all of which necessarily fit very well, um, not all of which you really necessarily have the time or the energy for, so there's sort of a downside to the upside.
0: It's a balance mhm so how so how is it that you you maintain that balance in 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 you know in being able to to well one in life really but with your with doing all of this, but also being able to enjoy being able to enjoy video games you know
1: um poorly uh not super well um before the pandemic one thing that i did have in terms of enjoying video games was i did a weekly stream on sundays with a few other local game designers um and then we'd sort of bring games to each other to play Where it's like this seems like something interesting or this is something i really enjoyed growing up or this is something new and exciting um And getting sort of a little taste of something every week. And sometimes we'd play through a whole game. Sometimes we'd do it for a single night. Um, But I found that to be a very good way of making sure that, like, I was still consuming, like, a wide range of games um, throughout the year, no matter how busy I
0: was. Mm -hmm. And that, yeah, and that makes makes good sense because, you know, it's sort of like, uh, authors, you know, or people that write books are authors, <laughs> um, how they say, you know, if, if they're not reading, you know, they, it's, you know, they, a good author should be reading all sorts of things, taking everything in. I imagine that's very similar to, uh, someone that makes video games. You should, um, be able to play games to one, get ideas or see kind of what did and didn't work in the past or what have you, or just what other people are doing. Cause being able to have a It might not be a true collaborative nature, but being able to, you know, explore things with other people—that's—I don't see how that could be a negative impact, you know.
1: Yeah, no, and definitely like trying to like find weird little hidden games that might have ideas that haven't been explored enough, like um, cave noirs I mentioned. Uh, Trying to also just see like what's happening with like new games, what are sort of the new ideas. I try to sort of mix what I'm playing with like new and old stuff, large and small, etc. cetera.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, how did you get into making video games?
1: I guess it must've been like late nineties. I did some pixel art for like hobbyist projects with a friend who was, um, doing game boy color, uh, hobby, um, hobby programming, so like using flashcards and such, um, and, um, a few years after that, I was, um, out of animation school, um, I'd just finished up a year of working in film, and met up with some other local Toronto people who wanted to be, um, making games and this was before um we now have like an ubisoft here we have a big triple a studio um, Chonage didn't have a lot of uh, opportunities to work in games at that time this is early 2000s and uh those folks um that turned into capybara games or Cappy, um, and sort of from there i left because um, with all sort of studios, when they start out, there is a long period where no money is being made. Um, and during that period, I started to get freelance jobs doing pixel art. Um, so I left, became sort of a freelance pixel artist, and that was sort of my entry into to game making. Um, working at the time was a lot of it was uh, G2ME cell phone game, phone cell phone games, that sort of stuff. And then about ten, I guess a wait 12 years ago uh, actually I think 12 years ago yesterday oh. um, just realized the date uh, started um, Spooky Squid Games to start making um, sort of the projects I wanted to make versus just creating art for other people's games and for sort of a lot of like a lot of that was like um, licensed movie cell phone games, stuff like that mm-hmm. And sort of start doing more independent stuff
0: Well, happy twelfth anniversary, I guess for uh, spooky squid games um i can I can definitely appreciate i imagine uh that you know it would be a a good relief to step away from making one cell phone games back then because they were they were not the most technologically advanced thing um and you know. Ten to fifteen years ago,
1: games like those, those, a lot of them couldn't have more than one button pushed down at one time. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult to do a lot of genres.
0: I imagine it would, yeah. So when I was when I was in high school, so this would have been uh, the mid two thousands. I actually, uh, for whatever foolish reason, decided to buy Castlevania on a an old Samsung flip phone. And like you said, it was one button at a time. It was like eight frames a second. It was not a well-spent $9. So, yeah.
1: No, they had like good color for the time, but like almost no memory for animation. That button issue that I mentioned, a lot of bad implementations of Java that caused extra problems on top of that. They were definitely just not built for for playing games the way modern hardware is, at least, Mm -hmm. built for making certain types of games.
0: Now, to step back from the topic of modern um, and maybe go back several, several years, what kind of games did you enjoy as a a child? Like, what was your favorite game?
1: I think the uh, the original Fantasy Star would probably be like a standout. Growing up on on the Sega Master System, I was one of the weird kids with a Master System and not an NES <laughs> in my generation.
0: Now, what was it about Fantasy Star for those that are not too aware of that game or that lineage? Now, really, what was it about Fantasy Star that that made it one of your favorite games? It was
1: um, it was one. It was like one of the the first. Um, console RPGs, uh at least that we got here. I don't think we got Dragon Quest, which was probably what inspired it, um, at least right away in North America. So it was like an early RPG, and I was playing pen and paper RPGs at the time. So I sort of I understood the idea. I'd played some computer RPGs. Um and then it had like a story and cutscenes and such, which like even the first Final Fantasy, which came out around the same time, didn't really have as much a story, didn't have set characters. Um, and so it was like playing a big epic adventure. It had this like sort of weird world to it because it was this mix of fantasy and science fiction that now feels pretty common, but at the time um, definitely felt strange and unusual and out of place since, like, a lot of Japanese stuff that does that had not made it out um, over here to Canada. And then, like, one of the characters was a cat, which was cute.
0: <laughs> and that's, you know, that's always a valid, a valid point. Uh, you know, if it has a character that you really enjoy, it's going to be a game you enjoy, right? Yeah. Uh, so what kind of games, you know, stepping away from Fantasy Star, um, what kind of games did you play when you were younger that you really enjoyed then, but if you look at them under a current lens, maybe they didn't hold up as well?
1: I think even like Fantasy Star did a lot of things for its time, but like it is a grind fest by today's mm. standards. Um, there's a lot of stuff that is good for the time, but we've gotten so much better at that particular type of game which is, like, it's not surprising. It was one of the first. Like, if you think mm-hmm. at be, like, pre-Super Mario, or Super Mario Brothers platformers, they're generally not good. It took, like, several tries to get it right. Um, and RPGs are, like, a particularly hard genre, I think, to do well. Um, so, um, also, like, looking at sort of other... Master System games, um, some of the uh, Wonder Boy games I really liked as a kid, and now like, but they don't stand up to to modern platformers particularly well. Especially the the first Monster World game um, is like weird and slippery and not super fun. Mm-hmm. Similarly, like Alex Kid has like a weird thing where it's it was like a Mario style game, but you Punching and you stopped whenever you punch and You had like a fist that was the size of your character, which is fine. That that's great, but that didn't mean that like unlike the sort of flow that Wonder Boy or Mario Brothers have, where you're sort of constantly moving, it had this stop and feel to it that just like does not feel good at all now. Outside of sort of like as soon as I take my nostalgia glasses off, it's not a great game.
0: Mm -hmm. and and that makes sense like because you know you're right because older platform games they were really trying to nail down what it was that made a good platform game um and it wasn't until i think even mario where nintendo stepped in and said there should be momentum and that was kind of the thing that it from what i remember from playing older platform games what stood out the most was your character not having any kind of weight to them so you know kind of what you were saying like it back in the back then it would have been kind of the wild west of just see what works right um you kind of stumble through some things that work and some things that like you said are real jarring where it just disrupts disrupts the entire flow right
1: Oh, yeah, no, like if you look at, like, Donkey Kong, which they did before that, the jumps don't feel great in it. Mm, yes, exactly. Like the hitboxes are extremely unforgiving. Um, it just it, it took time, and sort of, like, one thing that's interesting to see with more stuff being done in that genre now, hiatus, is how we're continuing to get, we are continuing to get better at, at these old genres figuring out ways to talk about the design also like the concept of game feel, uh, didn't really start being discussed um amongst designers until the 2000s and that's sort of what you're talking about when you're talking about like how the jump uh, in a platforming game how shooting something feels etc
0: mm-hmm. yeah exactly exactly and you're, you're right because that is uh, weirdly something that I don't even think I, as a consumer, thought much on or even was able to properly verbalize on until probably, you know, well into the 2000s. It just wasn't a, a thing that was thought I of. Like,
1: you'd know, that, like, you liked the way something feels. But, like, we hadn't really built up much of a vocabulary around it. Like, thought mm-hmm. about how every single element sort of links into that, that the animation changes how something feels the same. All those little touches and that sort of art of, of making it feel.
0: Yeah, entirely. So Miguel, what kind of games are you currently really enjoying? Like what kind of games are your current favorites?
1: Um, the stuff I'm playing at the moment... Um, I've been playing a lot of Spelunky 2. I play sort of regularly every weekend uh, with the same group of people playing co-op, of which I am the worst player by far. I'm not super good (laughs) at Spelunky. Um, And I've really been enjoying how well it plays as a co-op game. Um, There's a lot of sort of interesting things that... Don't happen when you play it single player. That sort of emboldens sort of like new types of strategies. It also like it tones
0: down the punishing
1: difficulty just a little bit, while still remaining really interesting.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, a question just to follow up on that one: Did you play any of the earlier spelunkies, whether it be the original spelunky or the um, I'm going to call it the tech demo spelunky, I guess?
1: Yeah, um, I. I played a little bit of um, the Spelunky like Game Maker version um, and sort of bounced off of it, but did find it interesting. It just like it had a lot of rough edges to its platforming. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I played a lot, but never won the the first Spelunky, mostly on my Vita. Um, It was a really good travel game, Um, but there are games that like I really enjoy, but I'm not good enough to win. And I never got to the point of like going to hell or anything like that in the first one. And I've kind of hit the same basic level of progress um, with two, and I'm not sure if I'm ever going to climb that hill completely and finish it. But I find them like, really rewarding and interesting games to play. Um, there's a lot of depth to them that aren't in a lot of the other, I feel like, indie roguelikes. Um, there's some things that... Derek sort of understands about the formula that I don't think have circulated out as much as I hoped they would when the first one came out.
0: Mm-hmm. And yeah, so I can I can definitely understand what you're saying there because you are absolutely right, and I don't think I have the right words to to say it, but there is just a certain game feel for for spelunky. Uh, And Spelunky too, that just seem to do things right, but in such a way that it's very difficult to say what that right is. And I know that's a very vague and kind of wishy-washy statement. However, I'm hoping anyone that's played Spelunky and other roguelike games that are similar in nature can understand what that means. And I'm hoping you understand what that means, so I'm not sounding like a real crazy person.
1: And I think like a lot of it is that it, it pays attention to sort of systemic interactions a lot more than um, a lot of, I think the modern roguelike approach has been um, about character builds and character builds isn't really a major part of Spelunky. It's much more about like, what do I have in my immediate surrounding? What is the situation I'm dealing with? given all of the weird ways everything can interact, how can I get past this?
0: Um, yes, and I, and I sort of of think... A sense
1: of improvisation to, to the play that I really like.
0: Mm-hmm. And I I think right there is what that me not being able to put the finger on it is, is that it's the, the way everything interacts and, as you said, how you can improvise in certain situations for what you have to do moving forward. Yeah. As punishing as that game may be, <laughs> yeah,
1: no, I'm I, something I'm very curious about is, is there a way to to make an easier version of that type of game while still keeping that, that element? Um, I think that's a, a hard problem no one has quite managed to solve.
0: Yes, that would be a very fine line to to walk, right?
1: Yeah, no, like you have to have enough interesting things to learn without at the same time being punished too hard for those interesting things.
0: Right. Cause it's kind of like, um, rewarding you, you know, you have to have a, a good amount of risk versus reward to continue on. And that, that is a statement for, for any game, I think really, but especially in roguelikes, if you are not giving enough of a reward, then it's And then instead of it, then tipping to a fun experience, it tips to a punishing experience, you know?
1: Yeah, no, and it can be the other way as well. If if you've got a bunch of mechanics, but um, there's no punishment for not understanding them, um, those mechanics aren't sort of meaningful for a game that is about mastery the way that Spelunky and other roguelikes tend to be about mastery.
0: Mm-hmm. So as much as I'd love to keep talking about Spelunky... Um, <laughs> The problem being is it's not your games. So I kind of want to step away from that. Yeah. Uh, so what, you know, talking about popular games or, you know, games that are kind of niche popular, I don't really know on the grand scale for, for Splunky. but what kind of popular games that, you know, a lot of people told you are great, you know, you'll love it, that that just didn't click for you for whatever reason?
1: Um. I'd say like these are older popular games, but um, both Super Metroid and um, Castlevania Symphony of the Night, two things that are sort of like the cornerstone of the Metroidvania genre. I enjoy that genre, but I really bounced hard off of both of those games. Um, after like for years hearing that they were sort of like classics and brilliant um, But we played them sort of on that stream that I mentioned, which may be part of why I bounced off of them. I wasn't playing them sort of solo on my own time. But both of them, I I hate the way movement feels in um, Super Metroid. I hate the way every, not everything, how a lot of things look in Symphony of the Night. Um, So those are sort of two classic, much lauded games that uh, I just, did not enjoy at all.
0: And that's, that's, you know, that's completely understandable. You know, like you said, there's certain things in, in them that are going to, to kind of rush you the wrong way. Um, When you mentioned the movement for, for super Metroid, um, the moment you said super Metroid, the thing that came to mind was actually the, the wall jump, like the, the turning. Um, So I, I think, I imagine, or I think, maybe a, a lot of people might feel that way for for certain older games. That you know, there's always just one thing that when you say it, if if yeah. they were kind of not enjoying it, that they're immediately going to go to right. But at the same time, that just means when you play a, a newer, you know, Metroidvania, you're gonna if it if it has solved those things, you're just going to enjoy them more. I am, I would imagine, yeah.
1: I I love um axiom Forge, i thought was a fantastic game and it is like there's no way that game exists without super metroid it is incredibly inspired by it but um i think everything it does it does better than the thing that inspired it um which is sort of like i think what you want from a game like that um you want to see it progress and sort of subvert expectations in interesting ways um And yet, that makes. What was I going to say? I'm suddenly lost my train of thought. Um, Yeah, no, it's. it's, I think a lot of the games that those two games inspired, I enjoy. I just um, playing them um, fairly recently for the first time. Uh, I think a lot of games since they were made have done what they do better. Mm -hmm.
0: Um, so we kind of touched on on a bit of this with fantasy star and i'm wondering if that still holds true uh today but what makes gaming enjoyable to you now
1: um i think uh hmm like i definitely like there is a way you start playing games as A game designer where you're often playing them to see new and interesting things and to sort of make you think about your um and that's definitely part of what i enjoy um pre-pandemic was also a really great way to socialize with friends i love local multiplayer games Mm -hmm. so um i would often have folks over and we'd break out towerfall did Hog, and a bunch of the other sort of newer local multiplayer games and play those. And so that, uh the feeling of playing together with people in person um, is something I really enjoy in games.
0: And yeah, I think I feel a lot of people can relate to that because arguably a game that's you get to experience with people there and kind of feed off of their direct energy and also share your direct energy with them, it just sort of creates, or it can create this really um, exciting, I don't know if that's right, but you know, an exciting mood that everyone's just going to be far more into the experience um, and willing to watch things unfold. You know, for example, like Towerfall, you can, you just get, you get to see what everyone's doing and how they're also thinking about what they're going to be doing as opposed to just seeing it if you were playing online together, you know?
1: Yeah, and like, there's an immediacy that um, I've played probably more online games than I have in my life uh, the last year, and I enjoy it, and there's definitely certain things, like it is nice for everyone to have their own screen and such, but like the delay of what each of you is seeing on screen compared to when it plays out, On your screen, the delay in talking, the fact that you're not seeing people's like facial expressions and all of that is sort of it's it's not nearly as immediate. It feels very mediated um, in comparison.
0: Mm -hmm. And and yeah, like that's that's something I think I've I've similar feelings have been shared when when asking other people. uh, So it's. It's good to know that that is something that seems to be universal, you know, because a lot of time, gaming, uh, multiplayer gaming, at least, can get a too much of a bad rapper and some negativity associated with it. But remembering that at that same time, there is a lot of positive things about multiplayer games and how you can enjoy it with people is is important to to express or to, you know, just say to other people, you know?
1: Yeah, no. And definitely this last year, like I feel I feel sorry for people who don't um play games online. Um who aren't into games. I think it's made it easier for, for those of us who do play video games um to deal with uh the sort of social distancing and the pandemic and such.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly, exactly, especially now, right? Yeah. So Speaking of, you know, kind of finding your joy and, you know, the the pandemic and how things are a little more difficult right now, do you have like a comfort game? Like, do you have a game that you can sit down and play regardless of, uh, you know, how old it is or new or what have you, and you're just going to enjoy it and it's just going to make you feel good regardless of, you know, a good day, bad day, whatever. It's just the game that's going to make everything feel all right. Do you have a game like that?
1: I'd say I do, but it's Towerfall. It's, it's a game <laughs> I can't actually play.
0: That's very really unfortunate.
1: <laughs> <laughs> like I, I do, like I find, I find difficult games often to be comforting. Like I do enjoy doing my mini mini failed Splunky two runs. Mm-hmm. I found that to be a good way to sort of calm down. I've been enjoying the, the Monster Hunter Rise demo. Which i also have been terrible at. Um, I find challenge can often be calming for me, which I know is weird because often those games are sort of, they're put in a place of being like rage inducing. But to me, I find it often calming. They just try to work at a problem um, and to slowly gain skill. And yeah,
0: that, that makes a lot of sense because or because you know being able to to focus on an immediate problem and how to move past it or just processing it uh can kind of help everything else fade away right
1: yeah no it's like if it wasn't hard it wouldn't be all consuming enough <laughs> um mm-hmm. like if it was just a matter of grinding I'm not really thinking, and I don't really need to think about the game in that situation. And so it's not doing what I want it to do to, to sort of bring me to that place where like almost like a meditation on the difficulty and on the task at hand.
0: Yeah, exactly. I think that's a real good word for it to, to refer to it as kind of a, a meditation. Um, I spoke to someone else and they, they had a similar feel for, um, for dota 2 in that it you know it just sort of made everything else fade away and it was right there in front of them i don't know if meditative is the right the word that they would as well use but i'm going to choose to kind of i don't want to say put words in their mouth but kind of co-op that it can be a meditative experience or a similar thing you know yeah it's, it's a flow state sort of exactly flow state that would have been the far better way for me to go with it i think So I want to follow up with this, especially because you have, uh, when looking at, you know, your your website, um, you'll see people, or you do have currently, you have some people that have cosplayed as uh, your character from uh, They Bleed Pixels. How has it been interacting with fans online and watching them enjoy the fandom while also, you know, doing things like cosplay or, or fan art.
1: That stuff um, has been wild uh, to see. The, um, I never thought, sort of, as an artist that I would draw that would get drawn more by other people than it was by me. Um, <laughs> like, there are a lot more pieces of fan art of the Claude Girl than, than I ever drew for the game. Um, and A lot of them are much better than uh, my own drawings. <laughs> Um, so that's been, like, a wild thing to experience um, and see that happen. And, like, the few times I've gotten to meet cosplayers at events like PAX and such, it is always a very surreal experience. Um, and I feel, like, very, very lucky to have had that experience because I didn't think, as an artist, I'd have that.
0: And, yeah, that makes, that makes perfect sense, right? Cause it's 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 an honor really i think might be the right word to use to to yeah. see someone enjoy your work so much that that's how they want to represent it right
1: yeah no, and like um i've done other work that has not had that effect i have friends who are like fantastic artists who haven't had that luck um i yeah it's it's wild to see and it it, it Anytime I see fan art, like new, a new piece of fan art, um, it makes it a good day.
0: And that's, you know, that's that's good, right? Because sometimes, that's sometimes your day just needs a pick me up, right? Oh, for sure. All right, so Miguel, I don't want to, I don't want to take up a whole lot more of your time, because uh, you know, everyone's busy and you got. People to see places to go and all, well, maybe not places to go (laughs) right now, places to go, in theory, places to go, but, um, you know, is there like, what's going on right now for you? Like, is, you know, is there any, are there any things that you would like to talk about that maybe we missed, you know, like a game you think people should be checking out or, you know, things you think people just need to hear? I don't really know how to phrase this part yet, so it's a little clunky. I'm sorry,
1: but no worries. Um, this is like what I've been up to. Um, we put out a, uh, a port of the pixels on Switch um, in October. It um, turned out great. It plays really nicely on that screen. It's like pixel perfect, happens to fit for the uh, the portable mode. Um, looks really nice. Um, and that was done with Ethan Lee, who did our as well um and then i'm working on bringing russian subway dogs our newest game to ps4 xbox one and ps vita because i just really like vita so I want it to be on vita um and so those should hopefully be out um later this year it's been a long road on those i thought it would be six months it's been about two years um but to be fair it's been a very weird two years and i'm like an artist is my background so i've been doing console programming uh for the first time mm-hmm. bringing these over and learning a lot
0: and yeah yeah i don't think anyone's ever going to really fault anyone for looking back at 2020 and saying Things just sort of went awry. I, I think I think everyone's going to get a, a mulligan or what have you on that one. I think
1: pretty much everything got slowed down for everyone mm-hmm. that year. Um, yeah, that's sort of what I'm working on. I'm really like I'm hoping that getting uh, Russian Subway Dogs on console. Will check it out. It's a game I'm extremely proud of. Don't think there's anything that plays quite like it. I think it's much, much deeper than a typical arcade game is, um, because of sort of the the influences from outside to it. Um, and I've seen I've seen people discover it and be surprised by how much there is there.
0: Mm-hmm. And like I can I can definitely speak to that for myself as well because I. When preparing to talk with you, I was looking into into your games. I personally had played uh They Bleed Pixels I, I wanna say when from when it first came out, or at least many years ago. Um and I, I as I said to you in, in an email, I kept hitting the same the same wall in the same level every time I tried to play it. <laughs> Finally I broke through it, but I think that's the wall I'm I don't think I'm gonna be able to go much further, because <laughs> it is a brutally challenging platformer it is possibly a little bit too hard it it's is a, a, a tricky thing to get
1: balanced right as mm-hmm. a student. and because i've played the game for so long making it
0: yeah and I, I just want to be clear when i say that it's brutally challenging um it is and it's not the kind of brutally challenging that feels cheap it feels that everything is pixel perfect and i mean that in a good way in that everything seems, it feels like a very technical game. It's just a very difficult and technical game. Yeah, no,
1: um, it is, it's a game of sort of type of, something I am trying to do sort of, is trying to figure out how people into that experience. But it's like, I think that's something that game designers are just starting to really figure To strike that particular balance
0: uh, between between you know the, the the technical and the the funness. Sorry, you were cutting out there. I didn't. Oh, catch sorry. Um,
1: making games that sort of are about mastery, and, but that are still sort of inviting to get into something. I'm interested in trying to do a better job of that since mm-hmm. they lead Pixels, so the people who are sort of at the lower end of the skill curve can enjoy it, especially seeing sort of what um, Celeste has done with that. Um, I'm interested in sort of exploring that more going forward. I know a lot of people did enjoy the episode, found it too challenging, which is why we did eventually add sort of to it. Mm -hmm.
0: And, you know, as, as you said as well, you know, you, you're proud of Russian subway dogs and I agree completely. You should, because that is a, uh, a fantastic game, as I said earlier, but it was, it was surprising the, the, the bit bit of twists that were put on to the game. Like it's very, I don't mean this in a negative way. It is very straightforward. You know, it's kind of, you know, what you see is what you're going to get, but the way that you do what you're getting is just a, a joy, you know, to, to, to bark the food. up to keep it in play uh you know to to get the to get the vodka out to to bark it up so you keep it you know comboing and you know mixing and all that was just um i did not expect it to be as fun and fresh and i mean that you know no offense when i say that um but you know i i kind of went into it going oh i know what this is going to be and it i left pleasantly surprised just because it was more than I thought it was going to be in such an enjoyable way.
1: No, and like, it's, we've, I think it takes an average person to get um, through the the main campaign around seven to 10 hours, constantly introducing new elements that. Almost every level has some new thing that it's adding. So trying to sort of go, it was an attempt to make a game that has very basic core interaction, but has a lot of depth in, how all the different pieces can work with each other. In some ways, inspired by games like Spelunky, where that's a real, I think, part of their secret sauce.
0: Mm-hmm. And not to also mention a whole slew of, I don't I don't know if they're so much as hidden characters or just unlockable characters, that also add a certain amount of yeah, charm I mean, to the you know, doing the, you know? the
1: mini, mini guest characters, of which we have some, was really fun. It was gratifying to be able to, sorry i was just i was looking at them and yeah they're all
0: uh, a bunch they're all very well done and amusing (laughs) just looking at the looking at them which i encourage anyone that you know hasn't played russian subway dogs or they bleed pixels to definitely check out but especially russian subway dogs just because it's and i don't again i don't mean this in any negative way it feels like a far more approachable game that is pleasantly surprising and just how much fun you have with such a simple mechanic.
1: Yeah, I know. Like, as I said, one of the things coming off of Fable bleed pixels was like, how do I make games about mass? The fact that you find uh, Russian subway dogs to be more approachable means that maybe we succeeded.
0: I would say you definitely succeeded. And, um, Cause you know, I've, uh, the few people I have spoken to about Russian subway dogs, they are nothing but positive things to say about it. Um, and it, what they say more or less mirrors the exact kind of energy and attitude that I walked away from it with as well. So it's, I would say you definitely succeeded, um, based on my small sample, you know,
1: good to hear. Um, no, what was uh, you had enough of questions so one was what was I up to and then the third thing that I thought people should check out
0: yeah yeah if there if there was like so that if there was a game that you feel that people should should look out by you know feel free to to add that um I was more or less just giving yeah. a jumping point if you wanted to take it
1: I will uh give a um, a shout out to a game called unexplored um, which is an action roguelike that I think does a bunch of really interesting things. Um, it is sort of a top-down adaptation of a game called Rogue, which is a traditional roguelike, um, but it's real-time. It has, I think, the best level generation I in any sort of procedural game. It basically feels like you've been handed a, uh, a new copy of Zelda every time you die. Where it's created maps that, um, of dungeons that sort of interlink between levels with puzzles, with sort of bosses that are um, you're warned about before you get to the floor where you find them. It feels like you're actually exploring spaces rather than just being sort of fed a bunch of uh, preset
0: bits and pieces that don't quite fit together. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, that that sounds like a real interesting um i shouldn't sorry interest in the wrong word um that sounds like a real you a good way to 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 see it just because yeah because a lot of a lot of you know roguelike games they they kind of do feel just like pieces of things and that that uh wanderlust or that exploration doesn't always feel um fine-tuned if that makes sense yeah
1: no, like in the case of Unexplored, there are that I wrote which I can't think of another um like indie roguelike where I'm like, oh yeah, I remember that particular level. Mm-hmm. Um but there are like not just memorable moments, but like memorable like layouts that I came across and I like playing, you know, a good 60 or more hours of it that one again. Um it's a really, really impressive piece of procedural generation.
0: Well yeah, so that, that sounds like a an interesting game. So I'm you know, I'm definitely gonna look into that one later myself because I I'm always uh down to play a new roguelike game. I don't know how I got into them. Um, but at some point I did and I've kind of been at the point where I'm always willing to to look at them and try them and hearing good things from people always kind of pushes them up on, on my list, you know?
1: Yeah, no, they're, they're an interesting, an interesting form of game. I think there's, there's a reason why they finally sort of broken out into the
0: mainstream. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Well, Miguel, if you don't have anything else you'd like to, you know, uh, make people aware of, or anything else you'd like to, to share currently, I'll let you get back to your, your evening. Um, so yeah, so thank you so much for, for agreeing to be a guest and joining me on the podcast.
1: Uh, thanks for having me. It's fun. Oh,
0: I'm and happy it, to hear that.
1: If people want to uh, find my game, it's www.spookysquid.com and I am at Spooky Squid on Twitter.
0: Awesome. And I'm definitely going to put that in the episode description and everything else as well. So that way people you know have an easy way to find that as well. Okay? Sounds good. Awesome. So, thanks again for joining me on the Red Tunic podcast. And a special thanks to Miguel Sternberg for making some time to have this conversation with me, as well as special thanks to Ronald Jenkins for the use of music from the title track, Road's Deep. Have a good evening.